previously, previously on the Game On Podcast. The AFL was here to stay and was going to manage football around the whole of the country. Yeah. Um, so um, uh, those things take time, but with goodwill on all parts, you, you eventually find a way through. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating thing. And look, personally, you know, ten, it's meant to be an AFL competition where I still see it personally as an extended VFL. You know, the relocation yeah. if it would have been great. I I think both North Melbourne and either St Kilda, Western Bulldogs, someone else that should be spread around. You know, I think one of those teams should have relocated to Tasmania as well. North Melbourne should have gone to the Gold Coast, in my opinion. Mm. Um, yeah, uh, and that would give more of an Australian feel than an extended v- VFL competition, yeah. personally. Yeah, well, Malcolm, I, I agree totally that the, there should have been a team from uh, Melbourne relocated to the uh, Gold Coast, and that should have been North Melbourne. But um, Brayshaw took over from somebody who was the president. He was going to solve all the problems of North yeah. Melbourne, and that was very anti them going to the Gold Coast, I think. And I, um, I think the AFL offered North Melbourne a hundred million dollars to relocate. Now I don't know that for sure, but that's that's what um, touted, uh, and they still said no. Um, it's an extraordinary decision, a, really. Yeah, a bizarre. Yeah, and of course it's too late now yeah. because with the club having the with the AFL having the funds, it can prop these these clubs up. And of course there should be a team in uh, Tasmania. Yes. And, and in my view, um, you know, a team should be relocated. I don't think that there'll be a relocated team. I think with a little bit of luck, they'll play, you know, eight, nine, ten games down there, eleven games down there, maybe twelve, and a few in Melbourne and a few around the rest of the country. Yeah, I just think it should have been an amalgam, another team though, in terms of going down to Tasmania. I know yeah. Tasmania are against that, but let's remember Sydney or South Melbourne. Everyone forgets that nowadays. That's Sydney. And I think the same thing yeah, would have happened. Right. The same thing would have yeah. happened in Tasmania. And I just think it's still crazy that there's ten teams in Victoria. You know, just... Yeah. Well, well, mate, we all do, um, but it's uh, it's not easily resolved. Sportscast SA presents Game On. Game On. South Australia's destination for everything sports. Local, national, and international sports. AFL football, soccer, basketball, golf, baseball, tennis, cricket, and any other sports played in this wide world. And we're going to have a blast doing it. So sit back, relax, and let's do this thing. Welcome to Game On. Welcome to Game On. My name's Pete, and once again joined by Malcolm. And Wayne Jackson was fantastic last week in explaining, you know, how North Melbourne almost ended up at um, up in the Gold Coast. Oh, look, and I'm still adamant that they should be. I felt it was poor management decision not to accept that they'd be a superpower up there, and they're selling games to Tasmania anyway. So it's, you know, yes, they'd still be existing, have a few more games in Melbourne, but for what they've sacrificed yep. to be a... Um, just another really Melbourne making club, up, yeah. Making up the number, yep. Numbers, I think, was inept and poor management. And I think it's also disappointing the AFL couldn't say no. Yes, bang, you're gonna if you want to continue to exist, yeah. And 
it's still an extended VFL. Ten teams in Victoria. At, at some stage, there has to be a little bit of a breaking point with that, doesn't there? Because we're going to talk about this a little bit later, but the, the funding had been revealed that the AFL are giving some of these clubs and a couple of them are um, well and truly in the uh, uh, Victorian heartland. So, yeah, something's got to break at some stage and, yeah, we'd like to see another team, obviously, in Tasmania, but, yeah, maybe... Trouble is, with a broadcast deal, that that's still unlikely that it's going to break. That's with so much money's in the game, yep. you know, and it's not footy, it's a... Yeah, they're not footy, you know, they're all franchises, corporations, whatever you want to call it. They're not traditional footy clubs. Yep, yep. Around the Grounds. To kick off Around the Grounds, we're going to have a little bit of a look at the uh, the NFL, the the. Super Bowl's coming up, obviously, this coming week. The cricket, local cricket, and some of the soccer. But to kick off today, mate, uh, the baseball giants. McCardle drives one to left field. It's back to the wall, back to the hill, and it's over the fence. You couldn't script it if you tried. The South Australia. J-Mac just staying with that pitch. He wanted a pitch and he could drive and he knows about 43 years of history. Watch with intent. Swearers! Galilee Giants are the overall champions of 2023. Amazing scenes. A championship generations in the making. A 43-year wait is over. The Claxton Shield is coming back to South Australia. What a huge win. Fantastic result, you know, for South Australia. So, you know, finally first bit of uh, silverware in the baseball world in that regard for the Claxton Shield. First time in 43 years. Lost the first game in Perth, came back and really won the the two games reasonably convincingly. It was a little bit of a worry in the third game yeah. when, when Perth got the first two runs, but came back from there and, yeah. Well, I mean, Perth, you'd expect them to win at home. I mean, you know, that is that one of the advantages of obviously starting over there and, uh, yeah, sort of blew out a little bit in that game and you thought, okay, what's going to be the mindset coming back here to Adelaide? But they really rallied and... and, and did the job in Game 2, which gave them a great opportunity in, in Game 3. And like you said, a uh, little bit of a worry early on being down 2 nothing. Um, I, I still think, too, I know financially that it's Perth, so such a long way to travel and all that. But really, the first game should be to the team play the first game at home, yes. second game away, third game back home. Yes. Um, you know, I think it was Perth got a pretty reasonable advantage playing first game at home. Yeah, but anyway. look, that that's just the way that yeah, that it panned out. Travel. But it, it worked out well for for the Adelaide Giants having two games at home and and really build on that momentum from game two. And a local uh, lad, Jordan McArdle, uh, yeah. gets the home run that gets them back in the game and really sets them up for the win eventually. He had he had a big series. He did both games. He was vital. So yeah, fantastic. Local South Australian talent on show and uh, comes through in the clutch. No. Awesome, and look great. Down there, full house and all that. Absolutely. But then I also, Nord Oval, 
it would have been you know, eight to ten thousand. I would have thought, and a little bit more an in intimate feel, yeah. obviously, with the with the stadium, with yeah. the uh, grandstands being enclosed. So. And yep, hey, look, I was surprised to see on the footage that the crowd was basically right around with the picnic rugs back up on the hill there, and um, and it was great to see. It was amusing with the streaker after they'd won in terms of the the security trying to catch him. Yeah, good luck. <laughs> now the AFL, the funding ladder revealed, mate. Yeah, the AFL came out this weekend, obviously with the broadcasting deal and and, and each year that the breakdown of clubs. Uh, interesting that Gold Coast and GWS are topping it at $25 million apiece. Yeah, while that's huge money, the, prob- the problem is that what they're getting from the broadcasting deal, it's actually, if you're sitting there going... Out of that, it's actually still good business sense that they added the seventeenth and eighteenth sides, getting that extra game in the in the broadcasting deal and the extra huge amount that brought in. Yep. So the twenty five million is still chicken feed, but yep. again, it should say, well, why in the hell isn't there been a side in Tasmania? I think it should be as live relocated from Victoria. Yep. As I've said, just like Gold Coast should yep. have been and GWS should have been. Yep. Like, let's remember Sydney now was South Melbourne relocated. Yep. That's forgotten about now. That's all just thought of as Sydney. And, yeah, I, I that's what should have happened. I, I just think it's – I don't think it's brilliantly administered in that way. Look, I understand that they're going there on the basis of a commercial opportunities through Sydney and, and obviously yep. the Gold Coast. But in most cases, especially in the Gold Coast, oh. establishing a new team – uh, has always been the hard part when it comes to, to to getting supporters to jump on board with the team. At least if, like like we've talked about earlier on, if North, North Melbourne had gone up there, they had a supporter base that may have followed them, a bit like what South Melbourne and Sydney have done as well. And also Brisbane the ironical thing is Brisbane started at the Gold Coast and it didn't work. Yeah. So hang on, we then move and put a side there where it hasn't worked in yep. the first place? It's yep. quite a bizarre decision. It certainly is. Uh, Brisbane, North Melbourne and St Kilda are each receiving 18, 18 to $19 million each. Uh, Melbourne, Port Adelaide, Western Bulldogs, uh, Sydney around the 16 and, um, you know. Yeah, look, be what it is, as I said, my beef still that it's not a true national yep. competition. It's an extended well, beef. I know I'm harping on a lock of broken record. Hopefully we can yeah. fix that, obviously, with a team yeah. in Tasmania. And, and, and like Wayne had said last week, an indoor stadium there would be would be fantastic. And you'd almost get AFL football there almost every weekend, which I think is good for the Tasmanian economy. I th- yes, but also I think Wayne's point there that you've probably got to have an indoor stadium yeah, because, of the, weather because of the weather is a fair point. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All right, mate, we move on to cricket. The first test in India. I'll let you uh, take the floor on this one, mate. Oh, absolutely. I think it's the greatest farce I've seen in cricket. I, you know, you can sit there. Sandpaper Gate, they didn't even get any benefit out of it. I don't mind them getting suspended for a year for utter stupidity. Yep. But this is just basically India going, shove it, shove it. We're the power of world cricket. We'll yep. do whatever we like. How in the hell you can prepare a pitch and be so blatant about it, preparing it differently for left-handers because <laughs> Australia had five of the top seven as left-handers yep. was just extraordinary. I couldn't believe my eyes when I saw yesterday that you've basically got uh, both ends of the pitch with 12 mil of grass uh, on, on both ends on the left-hand side and, uh, and 15 mils on the right-hand side. I can't understand that Melbourne gets a, a strike... Brisbane oh. gets a strike for, for wickets that were under par. And this is as blatant. It's just blatant cheating. Absolutely. No, I could not believe that this would be allowed to happen. 
Now, the ICC, unfortunately, oh, the toothless is, tiger is not going to yeah. yeah, step in, unfortunately, here. And, and this is the sad part about world cricket at the moment is that it's... There are so many things wrong with world cricket in terms of... Test cricket is very much under huge threat. Look, we've now got 8,672 2020 competitions around the world. Yep. And it's just because it's purely thought of as the mighty dollar and not seeing the whole picture. Yep. You know... I go back the traditional tour of Australia. Yes, anyone it used to be a, the social game at Lilac Hill. Yep. Then WA, then South Australia, sometimes New South Wales, as well as Queensland before yep. the first test. Now, no warm up games. Australia opt to opt because their last warm up game on the tour of India. They prepared a prepared a green top and then played the first test on a Bunsen burner. Went no, well, that's yep. pointless. Every country's got to pull their head in and actually see the whole picture, and it's just farcical. I just can't understand how the ICC aren't taking control of when all these matches are scheduled, so that way there's you know no crossover with T uh, twenties, um, uh, yeah, oh, look, I one hundreds, etc., etc. It just makes it great in theory. I think pretty hard to enforce, yep. but. They are a toothless tiger and they're not governing the game. Yep. And, you know, India, Australia and England should be pumping money back yep. into... We want a strong West Indies side. Yep. Okay. Again, you know, the glory days, you know, Greenwich, Haynes, Richards, Lloyd, yep. Garner, yep. Holding. That, that's over. But we had the tight test match here and it was just pathetic. They were all out for 70 on their second innings and it was just horrendous. Yep. And, you know... World cricket just aren't seeing the whole picture. So. Totally agree. Um, some injuries to Australian players. Yes, I know that they are the pace bowlers and it is going to be a spin-friendly wicket, but is it going to hurt them long-term in India? Oh, yes. There's no doubt about yep. that. Start Green's a vital admission. The balance of the whole Australian side's out without yep. Green playing. Yep. But then, I'm sorry, the selection of this game with Travis Head. Well, that was going oh, to be my next question. Uh, Travis Head left out. Um, yeah. If there'd been a couple of warm-up games and Renshaw and Hanscom had made hundreds and Travis had failed in that, there could be a little bit of a point made. But yeah. hang on, what is the hell is the point that he's been the, the player of the series here? Yes. Like Warner winning it, which should have been Travis, yep. I think we all acknowledge that. Yep. And he has been the last two home series. So, But we'll throw that out the, the bucket. And yet Warner averages 24 over trillions of hits on the subcontinent still plays. Yes. I know he struggles a little bit over there, and I can understand that, but you're right. He, he is in form, and you've, you've got to back him in to carry that form over. If he fails once or twice, then you maybe look but, at it, but to cut him straight away was just ridiculous. Also, it got made, Renshaw got made to open again for Queensland at domestic yep. level. That was his, going to be his, considered his chance to come back into the test side. Queensland had told for him to open. That's fine. Yep. So he's opening, and then he gets picked all of a sudden in the middle order to go out. And he's the people acting like he's this super player of spin. Oh my goodness gracious! And let's be honest, Travis might have gone out and got and hit a quick thirty odd like Alex did. Yep. And on that sort of deck, deck, and I'm actually I wish we I'd said this last week. I was actually in terms of Agar. I'm a fan. The pitch which is turning a lot is when you do play the left-arm orthodox who doesn't turn it much in general because yep. these wickets are going to turn it anyway. Yep. Like there's balls from Dejasia are turning a mile and then the next one goes straight where yep. Smith played for the spin. Yeah. That's what you want the left-hander for. I, you know, I just think the side they've picked, 
is just shaking your head in disbelief. Jumping at shadows a little oh. bit with the with the pitch being a little bit doctored as well. It just seems crazy. But then White is Rentrell's a left-hander as well. Yep. So you replace if you're right-handed, yeah, okay, then you can say, yeah, okay, we'll play the right-hander. Yep. But it just made no sense whatsoever. Yeah. And yeah. And he missed it by a mile too, Renshaw, this first ball. See you later. It's going to be an interesting watch over the next uh, couple of days with that one there. Um, Todd Murphy uh, making his debut for Australia. Positive. Look, yeah, I'm not so much against that, yep. although I would have played Agar. Yep. But um, he he's class. Murphy's looked really good in the few shield games he's played. Whether throwing him the deep end in India, maybe. But, yeah, I think he is a different sort of off-spinner to Nathan, so yep. I don't see them the same in that way. Uh, people out there, I actually think uh, he reminds me of uh, Peter Taylor, Peter Who. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's similarities there with yep. his action high over the top. So I can see the difference there, but yeah. So it's a case of horses for courses, Maybe, especially but, with the bowling, but yeah. the batting, yeah, just leaves yeah. you scratching your head. And, yeah. and like I said, you're the, you're the cricket nut. Oh. Uh, I'm only following from afar, and uh, even I'm scratching my head going, that, that just doesn't quite make sense. And I just assumed when I saw Travis, and I thought I'd, he's crook or he's got COVID, you know. Yeah, barley know, belly, yep. Injury, yeah. Yep. And then all the, hang on, he's been dropped. Yep, doesn't make sense. All right, mate, we'll, we'll take a quick break. When we come back, we'll have a little bit of, of a look at the NFL. We'll have a bit of a look at the local cricket and obviously the Adelaide United in the soccer. You're listening to the Game On Podcast. We'll be right back after this short break. Welcome back to Around the Grounds. We kick off with the NFL. Yes, mate. Your your neck of the woods, yep. your, your degree. Go for it, mate. My specialty. Obviously, the countdown to Super Bowl is on at 10 a.m. Monday morning, Adelaide time. The Eagles start, from my point of view, uh, Slight favourites. Mahomes has been in the Super Bowl before, which is obviously the star quarterback for the Eagles. But Jalen Hurts, uh, in his first Super Bowl, I mean, who are you Who are you sort of backing? Someone who's been there before or someone that's in their first first Super Bowl? Are you, I think we all tend to go, oh, the team has been there. But I think in that case, it's who settles for... You can do eight million cliches. You know, who settles first, who gets the first play. Yep. Who knows? Obviously, Mahomes still under a little bit of an injury cloud. Uh, Hertz is under a little bit of an injury cloud as well, but not as uh, as much as as Mahomes. I still back the uh, Eagles in this game, but it's going to be a very tight contest. Um, the Eagles were basically bottom of the NFL in 2020 and have drafted and traded very, very well since, uh, taking a little bit of a long-term view. Uh, I think we're starting to see that a little bit more in the AFL as well these days with some AFL clubs trading away future picks and yeah. and picking up some uh, some established players. And yeah, I think we're starting to follow that, that NFL system a little bit more. So, um, yeah, the NFL Super Bowl, Monday morning, uh, 10 a.m. Uh, I'm sure there's going to be plenty of parties around the place. And the game finishes generally about 4pm, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, around about it's three and a half, four hours by the time you add in the uh, the Super Bowl commercials, which is obviously the big one that a lot of people actually love watching. Um, and I think a lot of companies pay absolutely top dollar to have that uh, that privilege of playing at halftime of the Super Bowl. So, yeah, around about 4pm 4, 4 it'll finish and uh, there'll be probably a couple of sore heads by, by 5 o'clock Monday afternoon. All right, mate, we move on to local cricket, local Premier League cricket. Yeah, a few interesting things around the traps last week. Um, 
East Torrens beat Sturt outright, which has helped East Torrens' chances of staying in the top eight. Mm-hmm. There was a bit of debate in that game. It was a bit fiery and interesting. I was yep. there at that stage for a while. And yep. uh, a bit of argument on uh, Sturt complaining about the wicket. Well, hang on, you won the toss and sent East Torrens in the week before. Yes. It was raining around last week again. Yep. I, I thought it was a bit over the top. Um, yeah, I didn't agree whatsoever with someone saying the pitch was dangerous. Well, but that's part of the charm, I suppose, of playing great cricket is that you are playing it over two weekends. So a lot can happen between first innings or first uh, first at bat uh, to the second weekend. And it was the week before, a bit cloudy, a bit overcast. Every team sent the opposition in. A bit of panic stuff, really. Yep. Um, and, yeah, out of that, I saw it a bit. I thought Sturt were in the wrong in that one, yep. personally. Obviously, with the Premier League going to possibly a, a two-tier system next year, who's who's in the hunt for maybe missing out on the top top grade? Well, it's pretty close at the bottom mm-hmm. in terms of... Um, East Torrens last week with the outrights really helped them, but they've got, got to still have the buy, so it's probably a little bit imbalanced with teams still to have the buy. Yep. Um, but Northern Districts... Southern District, Adelaide are down. There's no doubt about that. Yep. And then the other spots is probably still up for grabs a little bit. You suspect Southerns will go down as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but from there, it's probably still up for debate. Yep. Um, and how many rounds left to go? Um, it's th- four, round, uh, four rounds. Four to rounds go. to go. So we've got some interesting matches coming up that will probably shape that table even more over the next three or four weeks. Yeah. Yeah, I know West Torrens play Kensington this week, mm-hmm. and West Torrens are currently second and Kensington are top, so that's that's a big game. Yep. Uh, Port are currently third, Uni currently just in the four on on percentage over Glenelg. So it's yeah, it's certainly certainly probably be out of those five. Yep. Um, from there. And our mate, and our mate uh, Jake Brown, how's the injury progressing? Did you catch up with him on the no, weekend? No, I haven't no? caught up with him again since yep. I'd expect he probably won't play this next game yep. um, after the weekend. So, yeah, but yeah, Kenzie did win out right in that game, it looks like. Yep. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Fantastic. All right, moving along, mate. Soccer. Yeah, um, Adelaide United came yeah. through last weekend again. So, that was good news there. Yep. Obviously, beating Brisbane Raw 2 1. Good win at home. Uh, obviously, the shock of uh, Hyundai's uh, injury and the 3 all draw with City obviously yeah. uh, meant that they were back on home soil and um, gave them a good opportunity to, um, you know, step it up in front of their home crowd and really get back into that, uh, that, that cauldron of Cooper Stadium, which puts them up to fourth now, which means they're just starting to hit their stride. Oh, look, they're around the mark, you know, which are playing mainly local South Australian well, that, and that. So, that's, yeah, it's, they're going okay. That's the most positive thing yeah. about it. I mean, we talked about, obviously, earlier on with uh, the baseball, with Jordan McArdle obviously being a local South Australian and and uh, doing his bit, obviously, to help the team. Adelaide United have got a fantastic record of developing local talent that really do come up with the goods and, and the young too. That's the other thing. Yeah, we tend then to lose a few after well, that, unfortunately. But, um, but that's part of yeah, the, part, that is part and parcel it of the the game. Uh, the game of soccer that yes. uh, that you are developing these players for a, a bigger and brighter career, obviously overseas in some of the bigger markets. But they yeah, do but generally think, come back. Yeah, but we also have lost a few interstate, which is 
that's probably I'm not so much mind them go to go to the greener pastures. But no, losing the guys in the state. Yeah, and some of that can be due to opportunity, which yeah, does happen with a lot of clubs. Doesn't matter whether it's football, soccer, no, cricket, true. lawn bowls, temping bowling, whatever the sport is, is looking for a good opportunity, and sometimes that's why they move. Expect a superpower to pick up Pete Matthews in the bowling world any time. <laughs> I would have thought. I don't know about that, mate. But we'll see how we go, mate. The Lady Reds with a bit of a tight tussle against Brisbane Raw, sitting seventh at the moment. Bit of work to do, but might just miss out on the finals. Yeah, a bit disappointing. Um, yeah, probably a, probably a bit too much work, I suspect. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll watch that with interest. But they've had a reasonably good year. I mean, they've slowly built over the last few years. And, uh, yeah, starting to make strides. Yeah, maybe. Uh, maybe. Probably maybe is the perfect word. No worries. All right, mate, when we come back, we'll have a past player, past legend, or we might have a local. We're, uh, we're still chasing yeah. up somebody at the moment. So we'll, we'll be back in a minute, mate. You're listening to the Game On Podcast. We'll be right back after this short break. Local Legends. Tonight on our Local Legends series, we've got Chris Flavel, a name that is very synonymous around the bowls community, but we're lucky enough to have him tonight. We had Wayne Jackson, the CEO of the AFL last week, and we've got a, a Commonwealth Game medalist tonight. Welcome, Chris. Welcome aboard, Chris. Thanks for having me. Mate, uh, we'll, we'll start from the beginning. How did you get into the sport of lawn bowls? Um, I was brainwashed as a child. Um, both um, <laughs> sets of grandparents and father played so as a little tacker I had no option but to go down the bowls club and watch dad play and the grandparents play and then got sick of watching at some point so thought I'll uh, take it up at the age of 10. That's a pretty young age to be uh, starting on the green but uh, in those days but today that's that's pretty much the norm isn't it? Yeah, today yeah like a lot of you see a lot of kids getting around and normally the better you, the better you are the younger you are so um, yeah, for, for when I started, it was a bit of an you know, odd choice and definitely got a fair few um, jobs at school for it. But, um, yeah, I think it's pretty... It's paid it's off. Paid, it's paid off in the end, yeah. Absolutely. What uh, what club did you start at, mate? Uh, Port Pirie Bowling Club, so it's 200 bit hours north of Adelaide. So out, out in the sticks, out in the bush. Yep. And uh, obviously first game was with Dad or not, uh, or the grandparents? Uh, I think it would have been the grandfather, yeah. Um, Dad wouldn't have been playing Div 7 at that point. He still would have been playing top divisions. Yep. Um, yeah, it took me a little bit to get the play of him, but yeah, definitely played the first game of grandfather. And uh, just to let our listeners know that don't know a whole lot about lawn bowls, uh, what was your starting position in the team, mate? On the mat leader, mate. Yep. Most players in bowls have, <laughs> most players have to uh, start at the lead position, don't they? Yeah, you got to you got to blood yourself, earn the respect at the front. You got to prove you can roll roll something straight before you can roll something that bends. I suppose <laughs> that's a pretty good way of putting him. Uh, how long were you at uh, Port Perry for? Port Perry Bowling Club. Probably a grand total of fifteen years. I oh, wow. mate moved down to Adelaide until I was in my mid twenties for work. So yeah, I was fairly loyal. Oh, fantastic. And uh, which club did you end up at uh, down here in Adelaide, mate? Uh, so joined Lockleys when I moved down here and. 
currently still there, but I had a bit of a holiday at Payneham in between. So, yeah. So the last couple of years have been uh, some boom years for yourself. Uh, just explain to the listeners what's been going on uh, for yourself personally as far as the Jackaroos or Para Jackaroos squad. Yeah, um, obviously got you know, the whole build up to obviously 2022 Birmingham. So I've been lucky enough to be part of the Para Jackaroo setup since. 2016, 2017, um, missed out on 2018 Gold Coast, but um, was still in the system. So, um, Chris, had, not... so what's the bit there of qualifying in that regard, with disability wise, or you know, I don't mean to be rude. Hopefully, it doesn't come yeah, yeah. across like that. So, yeah. So, what what qualifies, and are there are there different gradings and that sort of thing for probably people out there like myself who aren't experts in that yeah. regard, mate. Yeah, it's not. No, it's not rude at all, mate. We probably it's probably easier if someone asks us into making assumptions. But uh, so in the power power space, you have visual, visually impaired and physically disabled. So I'm part of the, the physically disabled group. Yep. And um, we have a bit of a, a grading system, a bit like you would have like in other para sports, like wheelchair basketball, yep. um, you know, para soccer. You know, the list goes on, and normally that's. Um, a range of things, whether it's limb impairment, limb loss, um, or if you've got a you know congenitive condition or you know um, a genetic one like I do, um, you, there's a few bench tests that you have to go through to you know, assess your range of impairment, and then you get classified into a few groups ranging from in bowls it starts at B8, which is your least impaired, all the way down to B5 in the physical which would be you know, mostly wheelchair-bound, like quadriplegics. Yep. And then you go to blind, which starts at B4 and then goes down goes to down. B1, which, which is basically total total black blackout blind. And is there much debating over the gradings and that, and that side of thing? And can that be controversial? Can it be a person try and get graded in a different grade than what they should be? And Yeah, um, obviously... It does cause debate, even amongst the athletes, a little yeah, bit. Because, that's what I was trying um, to phrase, yes. Yeah, like, obviously there's there's a lot of tests that you have to go through and you, know, you have to prove medical records to, for them to assess you. Um, you know, good good example would be the B7 category, which I'm part of, um, which you know, ranges for me that you know, you know, would say... Physically able on a bowling green pretty well. Like, you know, I'm impaired in a way. Like, um, I'm not, you know, a spry chicken or anything anymore, but um, goes all the way down to wheelchair users within that one category. And that can, um, it can range from a different things. It, a lot of it comes down to how much balance or movement you've actually got versus okay. how much strength you got. It's all, it's all, all these qualifiers. Like, the, yep. the, the, like a really good example for that would be my pair's partner in Birmingham, um, Damo from the Gold Coast. He's he was also classified as a B seven sitting in a chair, but within our squad we also have got a um, a bowler who is a B six, and both of them virtually have the same yeah, impairment. They've both lost a lost a leg for, above the knee, um, but depending on how the amputation or that worked. Um, one of the guys can still use a prosthetic and, and bowls upright, but because he bowls upright, he's less stable, so therefore he gets downgraded. Yep. Where Damo sits in a chair, he technically gains balance with, with the use of the chair, so yeah. he kind of yep. bumps up a grade. So there's a lot of those little things that, you know, if you're looking at from... from 
Um, if you're looking from the sideline, sometimes, oh, why are you that? Why are you that? And even amongst the athletes, if you're new to it, you kind of, you know, why are you this? Why are you that? But I think most times the assessors get it right. Yeah, there's a few, you know, yeah. inconsistencies yeah. there. It's never going to be 100% perfect, but I think most people find the correct you know, yep. grading for themselves. And and much, most uh, disabilities are individual as well. So, yes. you know, it sort of does uh, make it hard when it comes to grading. Uh, mate, uh, being part of the Jackaroos squad uh, over the last uh, few years or, or almost uh, seven or eight years, what changes have you seen uh, go through that squad? Well, oh, first of all, um, I've been through two head coaches. So we had the, when I first started, we had the, the great Steve Glasson, legend of Australian bowls. You know, what he hasn't done on the green as a player is not worth talking about. And then he, you know, segued into coaching one game and became one of the most successful Australian coaches to go along with it. Mm-hmm. Um, at the advent of COVID, he decided that he wanted to take a step back and pursue other interests. He like he'd given 10, 12 years to the national team as a coach at that point. So um, we got the new uh, new head coach, Gary Willis, mm-hmm. um, jumped into that role. We've um, Karen Murphy now as an assistant coach, another ex-player. So I've seen a couple of, you know, really good people in that role, but, you know, there's also been growth in the squad. You see players go in and out. Like we've had, you know, the great Wayne Rudiger was in the squad when I started. He's since announced his retirement this year. So it's a bit sad that lose the South Aussie out of the squad. But um, I suppose that the biggest thing is probably seeing a lot of the, the young and emerging, you know, bowlers getting around, like the likes of Nathan Black, Tyson Wilson, those guys getting opportunities in the like, satellite squads and that to prove their worth in South Australia, which is really good. And I suppose the biggest thing now is that we're, you know, we're tied up the AIS in Canberra now. Yep. Um, it's probably got a lot more professional than it was even when I started. So um, the sport itself has really grown in the high performance space and all that's probably back to, you know, getting results and being a fairly dominant country in that sport. I noticed, uh, obviously, through the advertisement um, of Bowls Australia and, and some of the uh, local affiliations through the state bodies, that the um, uh, the para and the able-bodied uh, athletes, especially for lawn bowls, were very much integrated uh, through Birmingham. Is that correct? Yep. Um, so we all played at the same venue on the same greens during and at the same time. So, um, yeah, both both disciplines were going you know, at the same time. Even from the Jackaroo squad point of view, when we when we toured over in Birmingham, the lead up to the Com Games and once we were in the Com Games, we were treated as one big team. There was no differentiation between, oh, you're the Opens and you're the Powers and you're the VIs or whatever it is. It was just one big happy group over there. So from that space, it's it was good. And bowls is probably one of those sports you can really can do that. Um, a lot of us guys in the, in the Paris space play able-bodied bowls on a, on a day-to-day basis. That's our bread and butter. We play club pennants against able-bodied players. We play a lot of state events against able-bodied players. And, you know, and some players, such as um, James Reynolds, who's part of the Australian squad now, actually represented ACT in this the Open Sides Championship. So, um, yeah, bowls is one of those sports where anyone can play it just about in terms of that, in that respect. It's a, a good leveller. In that, in that respect as well. And it's a good showcase to have both, you know, the, the physical disabled VIs and, the, you know, just the opens all going at the same time to showcase that, you know, we can all play at that level. 
I suppose uh, being with some of those uh, um, big names of the sport, I suppose, really does help your game along, uh, being side by side and practising with them and conversing and, and really picking their brain a little bit on uh, on certain things that you, you need to improve on and, and they might be able to help you with and vice versa. Yes, um, as you said, there's a lot of talent in that squad and that was another thing about the the Jackery setup was a lot of those players are more than willing to impart their knowledge and you know some of the great players that you think of in terms of uh, Australian representatives just you know, you know Aaron Sheriff in the past and now he's back in the squad like Omar things he's done on, on the world world scene and bowls is you know really good you know Aaron Wilson's a bit of a character disco mm-hmm. but the way that he applies himself on the green the way he goes about his craft is you know, he's a freak. There's, you know, he's, you just can't quantify what he does, but it works for him. And then you've got, you know, people like Barry Lester that's up in the Gold Coast who are, you know, probably the most professional person that I see that just leaves no stone unturned in the way he prepares for things. So, you know, there's a lot of, lot of you know, things you can cherry pick from everyone. They've all got their, their strong points, which makes you know, why they're there. Absolutely. All right, mate, we, uh, we better move on to Birmingham. Uh, you had a pretty successful campaign. Um, yeah, tell the listeners what, uh, how, you, how you got to that point, obviously practising here in Australia right through to uh, your gold medal match. <laughs> All right, I'll try not to bore them too much. But um, So the journey probably started back in 2019. We had a first initial camp over in the UK that I was fortunate enough to go, to go on. That was a real eye-opener for me to you know, go overseas and play in the Northern Hemisphere, which is the conditions are completely different to that of Australia. Um, but then obviously COVID got in between that and we probably didn't really get back into serious um, selection slash camps and things like that, probably mid-2001. So as we're coming out of the COVID bubble and you know, interstate borders and that opened up, we were a little bit free. I think we had our first trial. We had a split trial where some, you know, due to border restrictions, so I went to Tassie for a trial with some of the Queenslanders and WA players and um, the Victorian New South Wales players ended up being on the border somewhere. Um, and then, so I think that was November 2001. And from there, we had another trial January, February up on the Gold Coast where they specifically prepared a green to um, replicate UK conditions which is really unique. Mm. Um, and we spent a week on, on those greens, getting you know, familiar with the UK style of bowls using you know, UK equipment, you know, modifying actions, things like that to be able to perform on the overseas conditions, which was a real you know, bit of a interesting headspace to be in because you'd finish there and you have to go back and play penance in Adelaide, which is <laughs> yeah, running, switching back in. Running about seven seconds quicker. <laughs> Yeah, and then um, we had a tour in May of last year, which was the last selection trial before the Com Games, where the squad basically got cut, you know, got cut in half from that point. So we had one trial, a two-week tour over there to prove our worth, and then got selected off the basis of that. And then we had a what they call the Trans Tasman. So we played New Zealand back at the same club in Queensland, I think it's Mount Tambourine, that had the greens prepared for UK conditions and glad to say that we whitewashed the New Zealand team. So we sent a few Kiwis home unhappy, which was good. Mm-hmm. And then three, four weeks later, it was basically off to, off to the 
off the UK where we were in camp for two and a half weeks before the Con Games, getting ready, and then another week and a half in competition. So um, I, my, I think I spent a grand total of two months off work on the calendar year last year. So I'm very grateful to the guys and girls at Pine Design for letting me take the time off. Absolutely. And uh, as you mentioned, COVID was obviously a big thing, but uh, once you sort of got on the greens over there in in the UK, you guys hit your straps pretty quickly and um, put yourselves in a pretty good position in the end. Yeah, our, our pool games were, were, were pretty good. Um, we had we had an early loss to England in the pools and a draw, a draw against South Africa, but we, our form was going really well. But the, the game that probably highlighted that we... You know, really um, had a really good chance. We played Scotland, so the team we ended up playing the gold medal match. We played them. We play every team in the pool once, a bit like a round robin. Yep. And we beat them in the pool match to make sure that we got into the finals. So that really gave us a lot of confidence going into the finals. And we got drawed England in the semi. So we're playing against England in front of a pretty big crowd and pretty parochial crowd, and you know, not to say that we played our final on that game, but we played really well. We were very conscious of trying to take the crowd out of the game and you know, you know, keeping them quiet early. And glad to say that we finished that game with an end to go. So we got to really celebrate to get into, you know, win a medal of any colour is good, but to play off for gold is um, something special. But yeah, and then got to the to the gold medal match and played it in front of a, a bigger crowd. Uh, with bigger stands, which I've never experienced before, but the whole atmosphere was brilliant. And um, unfortunately, the Scots were too good for us on the day, but um, yeah, very happy to walk away with a silver medal out of it. Mate, uh, you've come a long way since uh, Port Pirie, and uh, you've uh, you've done very well and, and represented, obviously, not only South Australia as a as a para-athlete, but uh, also South Australia in general, but... Uh, and, and the sport of lawn bowls. But, uh, mate, congratulations on a fantastic uh, Birmingham uh, Commonwealth Games. And, um, mate, we will see you on the green pretty soon. Yeah, greatly no appreciate worries. it. And also just helping you know, educate myself and our listeners out there. No, no problems. Like I said, if you know anyone that's you know, got a bit of a, an ailment or disability or anything like that, bowls is a really good sport to get involved in if you want to, you know, uh, just at a bare minimum, is a very social aspect. So if someone's, you know, lacking that, you know, exposure to a bit of socialism, you know, being social and a club environment, actually one of those sports you can really get in at the ground level regardless of your physical ability. So I urge all the listeners, if you know someone that might fall into that category, push them towards the bowls club because they're very inclusive at that rate and, you know, get out and do things. It's it's Yeah, really let's, good. let's not underestimate the vital part of the of mental health in terms of mixing doing things and that you know that's more important than winning or losing in the end and yeah i think that gets a little bit forgotten at all levels yeah well yeah well you know not to derail the conversation too much longer like this whole yes my condition which you know did have some mental health issues myself when i got diagnosed it did pull me through that a little bit that I yeah. still had that sporting outlet to go to that I was still reasonably good at. Um, you know, I could have quite easily given up on a few things and, you know, yeah, you, you know, your stuff, your body's going to do this and that. And 
you know, the future's not bright, but, you know, the old silver cloud to, you know, silver lining to a yes. dark cloud, so to speak, quite literally now with a silver medal. But it, yeah, it, I can't, I, I'm the same. I can't underestimate the power of just, yes. you know, that mental well-being, especially when you're going through some you know, life-changing things, so to speak. Very much so. And and clubs are, you know, clubs, whatever your chosen sport is, are, are great for that. Absolutely. Mate, uh, as you mentioned, um, look on bowls.com.au for your local club if you want to get involved, not only from a, um, a disabled um, point of view, but if you're an able body that just wants a bit of a game of barefoot, bo- barefoot bowls or uh, join into some comp- competition, um, there's a club near you. And, um, mate, we look forward to seeing you out on the green and hopefully um, another chance at a uh, medal at the next Commonwealth Games, mate. Well, four years to work on that one, so fingers crossed. Mate, we'll, uh, we'll track and keep keep an eye on your progress and hopefully get you back on the show again, mate. No worries. Thanks for your time. Thank you, mate. Greatly appreciated. You're listening to the Game On Podcast. We'll be right back after this short break. We've just been speaking with Chris Flavel, a para-athlete for the the para-jackaroos for the lawn bowls. Chris was actually my skip when I first started playing lawn bowls and, uh, you know, gave me some very, very good pointers along the way and fantastic to come back. Him and his partner, Damien Delgado, Delgado, win silver at Birmingham. And Look, it was a great education. Look, obviously I'm not, you know, Limited, very, very limited knowledge in that regard, and probably asked elementary questions, which I think ninety nine percent of our listeners would, would have, have been wondering the yeah, same thing. And absolutely, you sort of hesitated a little bit, but Chris was great, and we wish him all the best. Uh, hopefully, getting there in four years' time. And I think it was a classic too. There, with majority of people with any disability, were actually quite comfortable with um, questions being asked, and just get yourself out there. And it was in the end, it was quite just a logical. Absolutely. Common sense conversation. Yep, and yeah. and you know the stigma these days of asking those questions is certainly a lot lot better received, and 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 athletes are quite willing to talk about it. And I think Chris did a fantastic job of explaining it. Definitely, we thank him again, mate. Liking this podcast? Please like, rate, and subscribe. Happy days. Well, mate, we kick off happy days today with a happy birthday. We'll stick with the cricket theme a little bit, considering it's not going too well over in India, but we'll, we'll stick with the happy birthday to Glenn McGrath. Who are Glenn McGrath? 19, born in 1970 this week. 124 tests, 563 wickets uh, at 21.64 with the best bowling of 8 for 24. And he's pretty incredible. You can virtually say now, what was your 319th test? I have there? heard that, and yeah. he will quote it. And... I actually have seen that in action with him, and yeah, it's quite insane. Like, I'll be honest, I'm pretty reasonable with my memory sort of thing, and I floor people with that. But uh, yeah, he's uh, he's elite. He's in the Wally Miller class of people out there who know around the where, tracks when, where, how. where I'm coming from. He's yeah. pretty incredible. I, I couldn't believe when I had heard him do that. He'll remember the ground, the person, the ball, yeah. what ball are the over, and, yeah. and, and everything else, what wicket it was. Uh, truly remarkable. And you just always could rely on Glenn McGrath for line and length. He was just fantastic at putting it on the spot, wasn't he? Well, they actually did do it at training. They put 20-cent piece 
at training and the things, yeah, sort of spoken to Dizzy with it mm-hmm. about it. And yeah, he would consistently hit it. Hit it. Unbelievable. So happy birthday to Glenn McGrath. Mate, we move on to Test Cricket. Alan Border, named as 12th man in 1979 for Australia. It was the only time he missed one. Yeah, he did have a little bit of a slow start to his career and was around the mark there, but then once he established himself... He never looked back. Oh, and let's also... He carried that Australian side for a fair while. We, you know, we were in the doldrums. We we won the World Cup beating England in the final. We, we sort of came from nowhere. We weren't really expected. And Steve Wall was the Iceman with bowling at the end. and. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that sort of probably kick-started before the Ashes Tour where we went as supposedly the worst team uh, and that and the 89 Ashes and then won 1-4-0 won and sort of kick-started from there where he decided he was going to stop being so... He thought he'd been... The summary from Ian Chappell would be a little bit... You'd commun- talk too much, too nice to the opposition yep. and he became a bit more tough and hard-nosed and, and it worked out well. Is Australia sort of in that same boat now where we're relying on one or two players to, to get the job done? Oh, probably a little bit in the batting. It is susceptible. Like, David Warner's surviving on thin ice at the moment mm-hmm. and it is a bit of a worry with two 35, 36-year-old opening batsmen. Um, Rodney Malcolm Hogg tonight said, well, if you weren't going to play, he, he's in favour of Travis opening in uh, opening." In yep. uh, in India, so yep. yeah, an food, food for well. thought, absolutely, uh, mate. In uh, two thousand and eighteen, the twenty uh, third Olympics game, Winter Games, was opened in P Panyong, South Korea. It's pretty funny the the Winter Olympics. It took a little bit of a while to click on, and let's be honest, we probably follow it when we think we're a chance of winning something. It's that's probably pretty traditional. And we, we glimpse at the sports every four years because it's something unique, something different. Yes. And then, you know, there was a couple others, but Steve Bradbury's the one we still well, remember. Of course. We so all that, remember. That was the one I was going to bring up. Yeah, and you, well, you can't not, you know. And the, was, and the girls in the aer- aerial skiing yeah. have always done reasonably well, but, geez, it's a tough sport. Oh, it's huge. It's, you know, there's been some fantastic individual performances there, but. I'm sorry, I reckon 99% of us, again, Steve Bradbury's the one which immediately comes to mind. Absolutely, and uh, that will remain for quite yeah. some time. Last man standing. All right, mate, we move on in 2018 as well. Uh, Tottenham Hotspurs edge out Arsenal 1-0 at Wembley Stadium in a Premier League game, which is nothing new, but it was a, a record crowd for a uh, single game at the Premier League of 83,222. Richie Benno. Two two two. Two two two. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're a bit spoiled here. Obviously, we get uh, Anzac Day at the MCGs, full with almost a hundred thousand. Grand Final Day, almost full with a hundred thousand, and a couple of other games throughout the year that attract eighty thousand. Do you think we're spoiled here a little bit in Australia? Well, it's quite incredible that Australia's got a ground. When you think of our overall population yeah. compared to everyone else around the ground, yet I think there's now a ground in India which holds more. Yep. But Australia, the the G has been the big sporting stadium for, you know, almost since Adam and Eve were sharing apples. Yeah, um, it's quite a but remarkable thing in that way. You go around you know, Australia. I mean, Perth now got sixty thousand. Yeah. Adelaide Oval can hold fifty two or fifty three thousand. Uh, um, the Gabba is going to get an upgrade for the Olympics coming up, so that'll probably hold. Seventy yeah, odd thousand. Yeah, um, you've got two big grounds in Melbourne, obviously with uh, Eddie Had or Marvel Stadium and, and the MCG. It probably shows 
what a sporting country we are, I think. Yeah, that's and we always bat well above our averages when it comes to per head of population at the Olympics. Yep. Uh, exactly. Yep. So yeah, interesting that uh, eighty three thousand is a, is one of the records uh, in in England as well. And I know they they're lacking for space. We do have a little bit of space, but I think we've made the most of it. And let's you know remember South Australia for our population, we bat we're effectively the number one, and that doesn't probably that gets very little recognition. We show that consistently with Test Cricket. Our rate of population is number one. Absolutely. All right, mate, we'll take a very, very quick break. We'll come back with the uh, extra time big finish. You're listening to the Game On Podcast. We'll be right back after this short break. Extra time, big finish. All right, mate, to kick off the extra time, big finish, we're going to talk a little bit of AFL today, but we'll start off with AFL as our first subject. Bruce McAvaney and Eddie Maguire given life membership. I'll be honest, I'm amazed that Bruce hadn't been made a life member. Totally agree. Totally agree. I think it's staggering that he wasn't a life member. and, And, okay, we can... Eddie everywhere, Eddie Collingwood and all that side of things. And, yes, there are some things which great. probably, yeah, do great is the perfect perfect term. But yep. let's also remember how much he's done overall for the game. Uh, I do think those two are no-brainers. Yep. Absolutely. And, yeah. I must admit, like you, I was dumbfounded that Bruce wasn't already yeah. in there. That that that's a that's a stat that I uh, I didn't know, and um, it was interesting to hear that he'd gone up there. But you're right, Eddie was probably the other one that you you go, oh, not Eddie again. But you're right, he's done yeah. a lot for the yeah. for the AFL and football in general, and um, you know, well and truly deserves. And and those guys are broadcasting superstars, really, at the end of the day, and and they should be rewarded for that. Oh, very much so. And you can certainly make big cases for you know. KG's obviously the one here. Absolutely. That. David Wildey's now, now he's commentated 30 years plus of grand finals now as well, you know, with, with Sample yes. mainly. Yeah, but yeah. yeah. There's some legends around the yeah, traps. Right. You never know. We might get Wilds on at some stage. I think we will. LeBron James. Yeah, mate, NBA. We're going to go through some of the scores this week, but really the big one was LeBron James breaks the all-time scoring record this week, beating Kareem abdul Jabbar, but it was a record that was held since 1984, and LeBron himself didn't know of the record up until a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, that's extraordinary, really. You would thought you would have thought because scoring a goal, goal kicking points, scoring yes. in basketball, yes. you would have thought would be the big one. Well, I think a lot of those sports really go on rings, so championship yeah. rings. Um, you know, obviously, uh, you know that's the the big one. Um, but you're right; you'd think that that. Would have been front of mind. It may have also been a case of that no one thought they were going to, no one was going to break it. I mean, it stood since 1984. LeBron's just one of those players that's just amazing. It'll be a little bit more bewildering. Like, let's be honest, American call everything the World Series, and you know, number one with, with everything, whatever they're doing. Yes. So you would have thought a record like that would have been in America would have been front and center. Absolutely. So yeah, a bit surprising. It's one of those records that a lot of people didn't know about and. Listening to some of the broadcasting, even the, even they were dumbfounded. Going, it's not a record that they openly knew straight away. Yeah, crazy. Weird. All right, mate. We move on to the WNBL. Lauren Jackson playing in a tribute game breaks down with a bit of injury. Yeah, pretty early in the game. A bit sad. You're quite sad in that way. You know, you can argue. I think she is probably our greatest female basketballer. Mm-hmm. I think Rachel 
very much pushes Lauren in that regard. And, yeah, incredible then to have that, I think, 10 to 12-year gap and come back and perform quite strongly at the age of 41 Absolutely. again. Oh, she's a superstar. Uh, she had a little bit of an injury going into this game and, and I know that she was desperate to get out on the court. But, yeah, yeah unfortunately... Um, the injury we didn't want to want to see her play, but yeah, she's been a great servant to basketball, not only here in Australia but definitely abroad. And she's a superstar. And you're right, coming back after ten years and still performing at a high level just shows how good she is. Oh, eloquent, always a great figure for women's basketball. Uh, Tennis, women's women's tennis. We said we were going to talk about this last week. We did indeed. We talked about the men's world number ones for the most amount of weeks and also Grand Slam titles. We did say that Steffi Graf holds the all-time record for both men and female players, which may be broken by Novak Djokovic in the next week or two. Um, but Graf, uh, 377. Martina Navratilova was the one that yeah. just pipped Serena Williams, and I thought it was Serena as well before I did uh, a little bit more research. No, but all credit to you for how much research you did. Yeah, though. mate, uh, three seventy-seven for Graf, three thirty-two for uh, Martina Navratilova, and three nineteen for Serena Williams. Just in the last few years, obviously motherhood and also some injuries yeah. uh, caught up with her a little bit. Uh, Chris Everett at two hundred and sixty, Martina Hingis at. 209 and Monica Sellis at 178 and that is including obviously her um, absence from the game after the stabbing. That's the one where you wonder. Yeah. What would well, been and that's why I added her to the yeah, list because I, not only was she in the top, top five or six, um, she was still in the top five or six on the basis that she did miss some time out of the game because of that incident. Who knows where she'd be. Steffi Graf comes in second at 22 Grand Slams, but Serena pips her at 23 right. Grand Slam victories. Uh, Martina Navratilova over at 18. Chris Evert at uh, 18 as well. Very um, um, understandable, considering they're very, very good friends. And Margaret Court at 11 were the uh, top four or five Grand Slam winners. It's interesting that it falls, falling away is not the right term, but surprising there's such a gap, the 18 to 11. Yeah, and, and, and also a little bit, um, you know, that Marta, uh, Martina and Chris Evert really held that record for quite some time and then Graf comes along, beats it, and then Serena comes along and beats it. So it's really only been in the last couple of generations that those records have started to tumble and we've had such dominant women players. Yeah, that's fascinating. So, yeah, it's going to make an interesting conversation um, for the greatest of all time, but really at the end of the day, the top um, six or seven... Uh, world number ones, as far as weeks go, have all retired. Yeah. Interesting. Yes. Very interesting. All right, mate. Uh, AFLW, I uh, thought we'd cover that coming yep. up at the moment. The Carlton coach steps aside uh, at the start of the yeah. AFLW season after a whole club review. Good or a bad thing? Daniel Harford, he's mm. been there for a fair while. Um, sounded like there was a bit of... Uh, part-time. Anim- yeah, animosity on the, the role and the yeah. time. And- yeah, he was spending part-time, and I think that the... After the whole club review, I think that I think the club wanted to move in a direction of being a full time coach. So, understandable. Probably a little bit of surprise that didn't happen, say three to four weeks ago. But it yeah. is what it is. Correct. Yep. Yep. All right, mate. We finish off on the AFL. We'll 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 have a little bit of fun here. Uh, who finishes higher, Sydney or Brisbane? Ooh. I thought I might test you with this one. Yeah, it's a great question on that because Brisbane's defence with. Adams going down, I think, is vulnerable. Mm-hmm. But their midfield is dynamite. I'll go Brisbane still, just as a guess. But I, I really think that's a toss of the coin. 
and that's why I chucked it yep. in, mate. Yep. And the second one I've got tonight, uh, just for a bit of fun, Richmond and Frio. I think Richmond with uh, the midfield with Taranto and Hopper, they've topped up. They're still they're still serious. And Richmond last year managed to grab defeat from Jaws of Victory in a few games, and where Collingwood went the other way, ridiculously the other way. Absolutely. I think Richmond, you know, I know Jade Rawlings, the great man, the premiership coach of the most important competition in the, in the land, of course. has tipped Richmond to finish minor premiers. So, okay. yeah. Very interesting coming from um, Twig there uh, that yes. Richmond might be uh, up there for the minor premiership. Uh, I think Brisbane as well, only just. I think that, that one's going to be a flip of the coin yeah. as well. I, I totally agree with you. They've both got such great squads and you've got a young Sydney squad that is only going to get better over time and, and Brisbane have been around the mark for a few years. So, yeah, you're right. Toss of the coin. Um, I'm not as bullish on Richmond yep. finishing Minor Premier, but I do think they're going to definitely improve a lot more this year and they're going to be in it. But I do finish, I do see them finishing above Frio, but I think Frio have made good good strides in the last couple of years. It's just a matter of uh, whether they can maintain it. And can James Aish maintain his record? James Aish, 24 games for Nord, two premierships, amazingly one loss in his career at Nord. So in the gather round, because Fremantle had named first, Aishi gets his old locker back, and don't worry, he's already claimed the, claimed the number 43 locker. Uh, and that's uh, uh, where we are putting the pump under under James that Frio better take home the chocolates against Gold Coast. I uh, might have to head to that round, mate. Mm. Uh, and just for that pure stat right there, uh, I think uh, Aishi could uh, maintain his winning record at the parade. That was a bit of fun when that first came up. Let's just say both uh, Andrew and Michael were not aware of that stat. Yeah, interesting. All right, mate, uh, we've had a fantastic uh, episode tonight. We've covered a, a big range of topics, but we've also spoken to some very, very special guests in Chris Slavel, uh, Parajakaroo for the Lawn Bowls. Educational. Very educational. As per usual, mate, we promise to do better next time. Thanks, folks. Thanks, folks. In this crazy world we live in, we all need the distraction. Enjoying the show? Like, rate, and subscribe. Hook up and connect with us on social media at Sportscast SA. We'll see you next time on Game On.